0: It's always a wonderful privilege to preach at an ordination service, and today, of course, doubly so, since it is Jamie, our son. Uh, And this marks the official beginning, as it were, of Jamie's ministry. Uh, It's been a long time since Jamie first said to his mother, I feel called to the ministry. Uh, His gifts were in evidence early, but he has grown in his graces and we've been uh, wonderfully pleased to see the blessing of him serving at this church where he has been so loved and welcomed and helped. So thank you to the church here, church family here, and thanks to the Lord for what he has done in Jamie and will do in him through his ministry. Uh, I'd like to turn to the Old Testament, no surprise there, to the book of Ezekiel, also no surprise there. Ezekiel chapter 34. And I'm going to read the first 24 verses. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God. Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there was no shepherd. And because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep therefore you shepherds hear the word of the lord thus says the lord god behold i am against the shepherds and i will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding uh, uh, the feeding the sheep no longer shall the shepherds feed themselves i will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them For thus says the lord god behold i i myself will search for my sheep And will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered. So will I seek out my sheep. And I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries. And will bring them together into their own lands. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel for the, uh, the ravines and all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pastures, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. Then they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. As for you, my flock, thus says the Lord God, behold, I judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and male goats. Is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture that you must tread down with your feet the rest of your pasture, and to drink the clear water that you must muddy the rest of the water with your feet? And must my sheep eat what you have trodden with your feet? and drink what you have muddied with your feet? Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, Behold, I, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep, because you push with the side and the shoulder, and you thrust at all the weak with your horns, till you have scattered them abroad. I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be prey, and I will judge between sheep and sheep. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, this is your word, and we are your people. We are your hungry sheep, and so we pray that you would feed us from your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as all of my students know, the answer to uh, every question in the Bible is to be found in the book of Ezekiel. And uh, so today we are going to turn to this passage to focus on the image of sheep and shepherds. When Jamie was small, we would visit his granny and papa who lived in Dunkeld at the foothills of the highlands, and we would go walking up the hill behind them, and we would see the sheep out on the fields. Uh, and uh, uh, this uh, image, therefore, of uh, sheep and shepherds has been in Jamie's psyche uh, for a long time. Uh, and uh, as we look at this passage, we need to ask ourselves what it means to be a good shepherd. Israel's kings were called to shepherd their people, an image that would have been familiar to them, familiar also to the surrounding nations, with a history going back at least to the code of Hammurabi, and I'm sure Jamie can list five or six other places in the ancient Near East where you could find that similar concept. Now this connection between kings and shepherds might seem uh, a natural one to us, because it's so familiar in the Bible, I think we miss the controversial nature of that claim in its original context because we've lost touch, I think, here in America at least, with the nature both of kings and of shepherds in modern culture. In those days, you see, kings were not merely constitutional figureheads who'd be trotted out on ceremonial occasions like the opening of a new hospital or a new session of parliaments or even diamond jubilee, or sapphire jubilee, whatever the latest jubilee is. On the contrary, kings possessed virtually unlimited power to rule as they saw fit, which meant that a good king could be a benevolent dictator and do a great deal of real good. But a bad king had the power to create almost unchecked havoc in the kingdom. But this image of the king as shepherd radically reshapes expectations of how a king should use his power for the sake of the flock entrusted to his care. Meanwhile, I would suggest that most of us probably have little clue about what shepherds actually do. We may know that sometimes they go on long walks with border collie dogs, collecting their sheep together in a field, but. We're not quite sure why they do that. In antiquity, of course, shepherds had neither sheepdogs nor fenced fields. Their function was more like that of Wild West cowboys, existing on the margins of decent society, out in the fields day and night, spending more time with animals than with people, and surrounded by the dangers of wild beasts and natural hazards. They were charged with protecting and providing for a flock whose only consistent instinct is the desire to go astray. It was necessarily a tough calling for tough men. Wimps need not apply. But there's also a tender aspect of the calling of being a shepherd. There are pregnant sheep to be cared for and assisted in labor and delivery as well as baby lambs that need to be watched over and protected. Sheep cannot be driven hard from one place to another or they will die. And so the shepherd had to match his pace and his ambitions to the abilities and the needs of his flock. One of the most beautiful images of God's care for his people is found in Isaiah 40, verse 11, where God is described as tending his flock like a shepherd. Gathering the lambs in his arms, carrying them in his bosom, gently leading those who are with young. In context, of course, it provides a sharp contrast with the lack of care for his people that was expressed by King Hezekiah at the end of the previous chapter, Isaiah 39, where when the prophets told him, that uh, the Babylonians would come and carry off all of his possessions, and some of his own children would be made eunuchs in Babylonia, he said, "Ha! at least there'll be peace in my time. That's the necessary background for the rebuke of Israel's shepherds in Ezekiel 34. Israel's leaders the kings and princes and others who occupied positions of authority in the community had been condemned for being bad shepherds they had not fed or strengthened the sheep and the weak they had not healed the sick they had not bound up the wounded they had not searched for the lost instead they had fed themselves regarding the flock as simply a resource to line their own pockets Now that metaphor speaks loudly to the calling of pastors to be good shepherds of God's flock. Negatively, we are not to use the flock to serve our own desires and needs. To be sure, it's appropriate for congregations to support pastors financially and with acts of love and kindness. But I think pastors can easily abuse that right and sometimes become demanding and needy. It's sometimes the case that when spiritual shepherds get together, the conversation turns into a whining session about the difficulties of their particular flocks. Now, there are certainly flocks that abuse their shepherds. That too we see in the Bible in Zechariah 11. But there are also shepherds who abuse their flocks, viewing them as a means of financial gain, ruling them harshly. It's not for nothing. That's the qualifications of an elder in 1 Timothy 3 include that he is not to be a lover of money. while another is that he should be gentle. Those are both attributes of the good shepherd. Positively, Ezekiel reminds us that the shepherd's primary calling is to feed the sheep. In pastoral ministry, that means that our primary calling is to be a minister of the word and the sacraments, feeding the people faithfully and reliably through teaching and preaching the scriptures, as well as through individual counsel and encouragement. And in a day when many roles are pressed upon pastors, administrator, chief executive officer, evangelist, counselor, social commentator, and many others besides, there is one thing that is primarily needful in being found faithful as a shepherd, that your sheep are well fed. Spiritual sheep need to be fed a rich diet of biblical truth. And those that are fed that diet are generally healthier and stronger, less likely to wander off elsewhere better equipped to survive the droughts and wilderness periods that occur through the life of every Christian. Better able to support and encourage other sheep as well. And feeding the sheep is hard work that will engage all of a shepherd's gifts and training and expertise as he seeks to wrestle faithfully with the diversity and the richness of scripture and to bring that profound truth down to bear on the complexity of living life in a fallen world in the light of the gospel. But alongside that primary calling to feed the sheep, isn't it striking that the focus of the rest of the verbs in this passage is on the shepherd's ministry to the weak and the sick and the wounded and the lost sheep? Israel's shepherds of Ezekiel's day were condemned not just for not feeding the sheep, but for not strengthening, for not healing, for not binding up, for not searching for the sheep. As pastors, perhaps some of us can be very comfortable in our study with our books, working on our sermons, and certainly that labor is vital to feeding the sheep well. But shepherding is not an office job. To do it properly requires the shepherd to be with their sheep constantly, to be knee deep in blood and mud and the muck and mire of life. And in particular, those sheep that they most need to be with are those members of the flock who are weak, who are wounded, who are hurting, who are lost. And this theme of course emerges elsewhere in the Bible. The good shepherd is the one who leaves the 99 sheep who are safe on their own to go after the one lost sheep. The healthy do not need a physician, but the sick, and that goes for sheep as well as people. In other words, the church is not a country club for spiritually successful and prosperous people to show off their wealth. It's not an athletic training program. For the spiritually buff to flaunt their rippling muscles. It is a hospital, it is a rescue mission for weak and sick and wounded and lost sheep who will need the special care and attention of the shepherd. And that calling to care for the weak and the sick and the wounded and the lost is intensely labor-intensive. So much so, that even real shepherds sometimes shy away from that calling in the modern world. I was catching up on my reading of back issues of Sheep magazine. That's sheep with an exclamation point, in case you want to look it up later. And I came across an article that said this, quote, Remember, your sheep should be working for you, not the other way around. It's time to reevaluate your operation when you find you are spending too much non-productive time dealing with flock health and management problems. The author of the article advocated culling out all of the weak and sick from the flock because seeking to restore them to health and strength was an inefficient use of shepherd's time. Let me suggest that the same perspective sometimes shows up in the church as well. You see, if the goal of ministry is to maximize the production of sheep units, then pastors will be frustrated by the amount of time that weak and struggling sheep consume. Weak and sick sheep get in the way of building the size of the program to its maximum possible dimensions. But thankfully, the Lord's perspective is different from that of Sheep Magazine. He does not rebuke the shepherds of Israel for the small size of the flock. He rebukes them for their erratic care over the flock that they've been given. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that large flocks are inherently unfaithful. God blesses some men with significant shepherding gifts that can be faithfully exercised in the context of a large church. But the measure of a shepherd's success is not their flock size and their efficiency. It is their faithfulness in caring for the last and the least among their flock. Good shepherds know their flock by name. They know their strengths and their weaknesses. They know their joys and their sorrows. They're there to share with them in the joy of their wedding celebrations and at the birth of their children and to comfort them in sickness. And they are there with them when they die and with those who are left to mourn. Being a shepherd is a heavily responsible task. It's not a job where you punch in and punch out or work professional hours, but it's also a profoundly rewarding task. Who else gets to shape and influence people's lives and relationship with God in such a deeply significant way? And because of this, shepherding is necessarily a family calling, unlike, say, plumbing. A shepherd's wife is necessarily involved in his work, helping out with lambing and sheep dipping, as well as bottle feeding those baby lambs. Well, so too, pastoral ministry is a whole family occupation that places obligations on Emily to love and care also, sometimes difficult, sometimes fraxus sheep. In verses 17 to 19, Ezekiel also addresses the sheep with words of rebuke. In the metaphor, it's not just shepherds who have responsibilities, but sheep as well. And again, the key distinction is between strong sheep and weak sheep. The stronger members of the flock, the rams and the male goats, have pushed aside the weaker sheep, taking what they want first and leaving only the muddied leftovers behind. So too in church, it's possible for some to dominate the agenda and direct most of the resources towards their own interests, while the needs of others who have less loud voices are shoved aside. It's part of the calling of shepherds to help protect the weak sheep against the strong. But it's also the calling of those who are among the strong in the sheep to take the lead in sacrificing their own personal desires and interests and laying down their lives in service Of those who are weaker in the flock instead of using their power and influence to get what they want out of the church so what's the remedy for the disordered and scattered flock with self-serving shepherds well the lord promises the scattered and disillusioned exiles of ezekiel's day that he himself will step in as good shepherd and care for the flock personally as well as providing better shepherds for them in the future. And so the message of this chapter is as much a word of hope for wounded and scattered sheep as it is a warning for overbearing shepherds. The Lord declares that their bad experiences of spiritual oversight have not gone unnoticed. God sees, God cares about abusive spiritual leaders and He is concerned about the damage done to the flock. He himself has promised to rescue those sheep that are lost and to gather together those who are scattered and to feed those who are starving with rich food. The Lord is our ultimate good shepherd. We shall not be in want. He will lead us beside still waters. He will allow us to lie down in green pastures. The Lord cares deeply for the spiritually wounded and broken, binding up their wounds and healing their hurts. And that same promise is extended to us today. Unfortunately, it is likely that there are some Christians, even some who are here today, who have had really bad experiences with self-serving shepherds, with pastors who used and abused the flock instead of loving and sacrificing themselves for him. And if that has been your experience, let me say, I am so sorry that that's happened to you. And I understand that when that's in your background, it is very tempting to retreat into skepticism and even cynicism about the church and about pastoral leadership. This passage wants to say to you that God sees and cares about your suffering at the hands of bad shepherds. It does not go unnoticed. And one of the things God encourages you to do is to find a flock with better shepherds, with men who will faithfully watch over your soul. There are such men, men who care deeply for the weak and the struggling, who give sacrificially of themselves for the sake of the flock, and we should be grateful to God for them. But even the best human shepherds will sooner or later let you down. The good shepherd The senior pastor of every earthly church is indeed Jesus Christ, the supreme model of what it means to shepherd the flock. He did not act as a rancher of a large herd, comfortably managing a mega flock from a distance through intermediaries for his own benefit. Now Jesus picked a small group of 12, weak, confused, and often quarrelsome disciples, and he lived with them in a way that completely changed their lives. He ate with them, he slept with them, he sweated with them, he sat with them, he laughed with them, and he cried with them. He was their pastor. In addition, he also had a ministry to a larger group of people, to thousands who followed him around. But the needs of the hurting multitude still moved him to compassion because he saw they were sheep without a shepherd. As a result, he was never too busy to sit with ordinary people, even the tax collectors and sinners, finding out their concerns and their worries while pointing them to their deeper spiritual needs. You see, in Jesus, we see the perfect balance in the shepherd's task of comforting the afflicted and afflicting the comfortable. Jesus regularly afflicted the comfortable and the strong. The Pharisees, who relied on their own righteousness, Jesus was unmerciful in tearing away the fig leaves of their excuses, driving them to see their utter need of the gospel. But Jesus was also patient in comforting the weak and deeply afflicted. The sinners and outcasts to whom he spoke did not need to have the law preached to them. They'd heard it too often already on the lips of the Pharisees. They needed instead to be drawn tenderly to God. They needed to hear that God did not delight in their difficulties and their destruction, that God was wooing them to come to him that they might live. They needed to know that there was a place in his flock for those for whom society, and in some cases the church, was a special shame. The serial adulterer and the divorced, those struggling with same-sex attraction or gluttony or alcoholism or those who are drug addicts, as well as those whose sins so often get a free pass, such as those who are covetous and proud and greedy. By temperament, most of us who are pastors naturally gravitate towards one style of pastoral ministry or the other. Typically, either we draw people to Christ with the sweetness of grace, or we drive them to Christ with a strong proclamation of the searching demands of the law. But as the good shepherd, Jesus shows us a richer, more balanced view of our calling. To be those who preach both law and gospel, driving people to see their desperate need of Christ and drawing them sweetly to him as the remedy for all their sin and guilt, and by all means winning those whom God, the good shepherd, is adding to his flock. But Jesus Christ is not merely the model shepherd who makes us contemporary pastors all feel horribly guilty by how far short we fall of his perfect standard. He is himself the one of whom Ezekiel 34 speaks. He is this ultimate shepherd king who fulfills the promises of the Davidic covenants, as the crowds around Jerusalem recognized during his triumphal entry. He is the good shepherd who came to lay down his life for his weak sheep, and for his frail and failing shepherds, going to the cross for the sins of pastors and people alike. The faithfulness we ultimately need is not the faithfulness of our earthly shepherds, but the supreme faithfulness of the divine human shepherd. Being lifted up on that cruel cross was the means by which Jesus was gathering together his one flock of worshipers from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and now to the ends of the earth. This is how he heals the weak sheep. This is how he rescues the lost sheep. This is how he binds up the spiritually broken sheep by himself being afflicted and wounded and cast off in our place. And so as a result, our ministry as shepherds is to lift high the cross of Jesus so that people can see clearly his atoning death and resurrection and in him, be added to the safety of his flock. It is in Christ, and only in Christ, that we have peace with God, peace with one another, and ultimately peace with all creation. That blessing of peace with God and our fellow believers and our world has a now and a not yet aspect to it. We experience God's peace in part even now, even in this wilderness world, but we do not yet see it in its fullness. Creation still groans with anticipation as it awaits the revelation of a new heavens and a new earth and of ourselves as the sons and daughters of the living God. In the meantime, our experience in this world is frequently that that Paul describes in Romans 8.35, trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger or the sword, and we pastors continue to be very weak shepherds of flocks of very weak sheep, but we are reminded that our struggles are momentary light afflictions in comparison to the inestimable glory that awaits us in Jesus Christ, and that we are in the hand of a good shepherd who will not let us go. And one day, one day, that shepherd will return and all will be gloriously fulfilled as God gathers His worldwide flock from many nations, from the north and the south and the east and the west, into His presence. On that day, there'll be no more suffering, no more pain, no more disharmony with God or with my neighbor or with the world. As Revelation 7 puts it, for the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. In the meantime, until Christ returns, let us give thanks that the chief shepherd gives faithful under-shepherds to watch over his flock, pastors and teachers who love and feed and care for and watch over his people as we celebrate today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is a high and holy calling to be a shepherd of your flock. We pray for those of us who are here today as shepherds that you would enable us to pursue that high calling with faithfulness, to love our sheep, to love the broken sheep, the lost sheep, the weak sheep, to give them our time and ourselves, to feed the sheep, with the full counsel of God in all of its richness to guard the sheep against the wolves that are out there. And we pray for Jamie as you call him to join our number, that by your grace you would make him faithful also and make him a blessing to this church and to the wider flock of your people. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.